You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. get in the leadership and there's envy, there's jealousy, and people are pressuring you to do things that they want you to do. We must stay ever true to God's Word. We must stay ever true to His Word and not back off one bit. We're not going to be pressured by anything or anyone because we know it is God's Word. Inerrant, infallible, pure. What is written is written by God Himself through the Holy Spirit. Men did pun it. Yes, they did. God inspired each man by the Spirit to write those things down. Do you ever find it difficult to not let pride or success go to your head? Pastor Dave reminds us today that if so, you're not alone. Pride and ego are part of human sinful nature. Don't let you or anyone else get between you and God. Remember Him in all you do, because He will all you do, because He will always have the best intentions for you and yours. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 3. As he begins his message, the way up is down. Gospel of John, chapter 3. We're going to specifically look at verses 22 through verse 30. I'm going to read aloud if you'd like to follow along silently, please, as we begin our study this morning. Gospel of John, chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Selene, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So, how many of you are baffled by the English language? Really? I'm impressed that you're not baffled by the English language. As a shop teacher, I was real baffled by the English language. Anyhow, the English language is interesting because there are always words that mean opposite. There are always words that mean the exact opposite. And two of those words, one is up, the other one is down. Both these words, it's interesting enough, can be used as adverbs, they can be used as adjectives, they can be used as verbs, and they can be used as prepositions, and no, there won't be a test to find out what each one of those are. But they usually point in opposite directions. And given of their value, some are negative and some are positive. The majority of the time, take the word down. 
The majority of the time, when coupled with some other words, it carries a negative connotation, like moving from a higher position to a lower position, being unhappy or depressed, or even an unwelcome experiences. I look at some of these words, down and out, downhearted, downfall, downscale, downhill. I remember the time when I used to say, you know, that's a real downer. Or how about down for the count? Or even cast down. On the other hand, the word up, when you pair with certain other words, has positive connotations. Add the word up to words and look what happens. Upscale, up and coming, upperly mobile, upper class, and upstanding. Now, think about the world in which we live. We are deluged with the philosophy that our sights and dreams should be focused on moving up. Up in pay. Up in position, up in power, up in prestige, up in living accommodations, up in transportation, moving up into wherever, place for our egos. And it delights us to no end. Up is a word that signifies power. It's assumed that the direction of greatness is always up. Up, up, up. People rise up against the odds. People ascend towards fame and fortune and power. Let's face it, we all want to move up to the east side. According to the world, we should all want to improve our standing and work our way up. Yet, with all that in mind, the words of John the Baptist seem to startle us. They seem to shake us at our core. In fact, they're upside down to our thinking. It doesn't compute in our finite minds. John tells his disciples just the opposite of what the world is saying when he says Jesus must increase and he or we or I must decrease. It would seem that the greatest oxymoron of all times would be the phrase descending into greatness. Or as I like to put it, the way up is down. It seems absurd to the world. Yet this is exactly what the Apostle John is saying to his disciples. Now, whenever I hear this phrase, and I've used it quite often. I use it in this forum. It's one of my favorite phrases. I use it a lot. But when I think about this phrase, I always get this vivid image of Jesus standing on a high mountain. And he has his disciples with him. And they're all standing there and they're all looking around in glory. And he looks over and there's even a higher peak still. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, that's where I want to take you. I want to take you even higher. And his disciples say, yeah, Lord, we're with you. We want to go as high as we possibly go. And he says, come on. He starts walking down the mountain. And they go, whoa, time out, Lord, what do you mean? Jesus looks back and says, the way up is down. The way up is down. Think about that. The way up is down. So as we come into today's scriptures, the Apostle John is saying something very important to us in these next verses. And he's using, once again, John the Baptist as a witness. If you remember, a couple chapters ago, John the Baptist was the main character. And his testimony carried great weight. His testimony was huge when he pointed out to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's him who I was talking about. That's the one whose shoes I can't even tie. That's the one who was before me, but yet he's behind me, but yet he's before me. That's him right there. 
The Apostle John now wants to clarify a few things as he once again uses John before he's thrown into prison and we don't see him anymore on the scene. Notice as it says in verse 22, let's put it in context. Remember, context, context, context. Verse 22 says this, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. After what things? Well, after the conversation with Nicodemus. After Jesus' long and lengthy conversation with Nicodemus at night, talking to him that you must be born again, that even so as the Son of Man should be lifted up, so shall all see him. As he clarifies these things, Jesus and his disciples then travel some 50 miles, 50 miles by foot from Jerusalem to a place along the Jordan River called Salim. What I see interesting in this very verse is that it suggests that Jesus was actually baptizing. Look at it. After these things, Jesus and the disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. You know, I believe, could be mistaken, won't be the first time, but I believe this is one of the only times when we see Jesus actually baptizing. Usually his disciples are the ones doing the baptizing. But here, Jesus is clearly baptizing. He remained with them. He's baptizing them. In verse 23, we see that John the Baptist is also in the area. Now, John was also baptizing in Anan near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. John the Baptist is doing his thing. Many believe that it was on the opposite side of the river. He was doing his thing because the water was high. John was baptizing in the repentance. John was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And yes, they had ministry at the same time. And in verse 24, it says, This all happened before John was taken into prison. Verse 24, for John had not been thrown into prison. All happens before John is thrown into prison. But a problem arises. There's a dispute, as there always is when you have two people doing similar things. There's always a dispute. Let's look at verses 25 and 26. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to which you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now the dispute was over purification, but the, the Jews, namely the Pharisees, used this as a ploy to get John the Baptist's disciples to start thinking, well, wait a minute. Which baptism do we follow? Do we follow Jesus' baptism or do we follow John the Baptist's baptism? Which do we do? And it made them anxious. It made them worrisome. And that's what happens sometimes when we hear things that are opposing views. We get anxious and we get worried and we get nervous and we don't take it back to the Word of God to see what is really true. We're not Bereans about it. If you remember, the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, they went back and they took everything that Paul said and they took it back to the Scriptures to test to see if it was true. The disciples didn't do that. They were anxious. So they come to John. They come to their master, John, and they said, you know, that guy that was on the other side of the Jordan, you know, the one that you talked about, he's baptizing, and everyone's going to him. Hmm. These guys were loyal followers of John, and I get the hint that they're feeling a little jealousy. They're feeling a little competition. They're feeling a little bit put out. They didn't like this guy coming in and baptizing when their master was baptizing. John's disciples were making a big deal out what they presumed to be some sort of competition. Whose baptism was better? And the Jews were egging the disciples on. But John doesn't waver. John 
is steadfast in what his belief is. He's steadfast in what the Lord has told him. He knows what his job is. He knows what his mission is. He knows what he's supposed to accomplish. Look at 27 and 28. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John does not buy into this idea of competition. As an aside, I don't believe I'm in competition with anybody. There is no competition. I believe that God has given me a task to do here at Calvary Chapel, and that's what I'm trying to do, line by line, verse by verse, teaching God's Word, building up of the body for the work of the ministry. I believe that's my chore. I don't care what they do down there. I don't care what they're doing down there. That's not my job to care. If they're preaching the gospel, praise God. If there are people getting saved and being born again, praise God. Who am I to say? I'm not worried about them. It's not a competition. I don't look at it that way. I never have. I'm not competing with anybody. No one. This is what got these disciples in trouble. John doesn't waver. He doesn't buy in this competition. It didn't bother John one bit that Jesus was baptizing. He wasn't going to allow envy. He wasn't going to allow jealousy. And he wasn't even going to allow pressure from his own disciples to change his point of view. We see that a lot. You get in the leadership, and there's envy, there's jealousy, and people are pressuring you to do things that they want you to do. We must stay ever true to God's Word. We must stay ever true to His Word and not back off one bit. We're not going to be pressured by anything or anyone because we know it is God's Word. Inerrant, infallible, pure. What is written is written by God Himself through the Holy Spirit. Men did pun it. Yes, they did. But God inspired each man by the Spirit to write those things down. And we have it as it is. That's our task. That's what God has called us to do. John's mission, you remember, we studied it. John's mission was to announce the coming of Christ. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he was baptizing, and all of a sudden, there he was. Whoa, the Lamb of God, that's him. John's mission, declare Jesus as the Lamb of God, then get out of the way. Back up. He emphatically said to them, I'm not the Christ. Remember when I told you that the Messiah was coming? Remember when I pointed to him on the scene and told you that? John was confident that the mission that he wanted to do was accomplished. So to reinforce this idea, John uses this really great analogy to the Jews about a wedding. He used something that he knew that they would all understand. He uses this great example of the bridegroom and the best man. Let's read 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. See, in Jewish tradition, the best man made all the arrangements for the bridal feast. Best man set everything up for the great big feast. In fact, the best man was the one that presented the bride to the bridegroom. See the picture? John is the best man. He knows he's not the bridegroom. He knows he's not the one. But Jesus is the one. Jesus, meet your bride. Meet your loved ones. And then he rejoices because his joy is complete. He's accomplished his job. And then he steps aside as the bride and bridegroom are married. And he says, praise God. Our joy is not fulfilled in doing something for the Lord. 
Our joy is not fulfilled when we receive something for the Lord. Our joy is fulfilled when we hear his voice. When we hear his voice talking to us in the night, when we're reading his word and we hear that still small voice and he speaks to us and he fills our heart with that joy, then we have joy unspeakable, Peter says. Joy that we can't even describe. John's saying, hey guys, it's okay that somebody else is baptizing. It's okay that they're going over after Jesus and better yet, it's supposed to happen. Then John makes this statement, this poignant and priceless statement which basically is the gist of all that we're studying today. It's our focus verse. Look at verse 30. He, speaking of Jesus, must increase, but I, John says, must decrease. Wow. One commentator I want to share with you said this, quote, this should be the motto of every Christian, especially those who are leaders among God's people. Jesus should become greater and more visible, and the servant should become less and less visible. One thing sticks out to me in this verse. Well, that's not true because tons of things stick out to me in this verse. But there's a couple words that I have to revisit. There's a couple words. They're the same word. Anybody see it? It's the word must. It's the word must. Now, this is the third time third and fourth time that the word must is used in chapter 3. Actually, it's the third, fourth, and fifth. Listen, in chapter 3, you must be born again. In chapter 7, you must be born again. In verse 14, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Must be lifted up. It's an imperative. It's a divine imperative. It's not a suggestion. And then he says, you must decrease. You must decrease. What happens when Jesus increases in our lives? What happens when we allow Jesus to increase in our life and we take a step back and we allow people to see him in our life? Well, one thing John the Baptist told you, our joy is complete. When Jesus increases, our joy increases. When Jesus is present in our lives, our joy increases, and we have mass quantities of joy. Why? Because when Jesus increases, love increases. When Jesus increases, blessings increase. When Jesus increases, our faith increases. When Jesus increases, our service to him increases. When Jesus increases, grace increases. When Jesus increases, mercy increases. When Jesus increases, hope increases. When Jesus increases, help increases. From whence my help come, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When Jesus increases, holiness increases. When Jesus increases, peace increases in our lives. When Jesus increases, we have rest for our weary souls, and it increases. When Jesus increases, our esteem is increased because he's increasing in my life. When Jesus increases, knowledge increases. When Jesus increases, others become important. And their lives are important to us. When Jesus increases, life itself increases. It becomes more abundant. But when Jesus increases, there are also things that decrease. There are also things that decrease. I have found in my life that when Jesus increases, sin decreases. 
The more I am following Christ, the more closely I am associated with him, the more closely I am in his word, the more closely I am in my prayer time, I find that I am sinning less. When Jesus increases, circumstances seem to decrease in size. They're not quite as big as they used to be. When Jesus increases, our fears decrease. When Jesus increases, our struggle to maintain decreases. Our hurts decrease when Jesus increases. He must increase. I must decrease. This is an action. This is an action verb. This is an action time. What do I decrease in? I decrease in my thinking of myself. I decrease in my actions that are centered around me. I decrease so Jesus can increase. And when I get out of the way, Jesus becomes the way. I need to first step back and allow him to be seen. There are a lot of upside-down statements in the Bible. There are a lot of statements that confuse us that go along with what we're talking about right here. There is a place in several of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where it says, if anyone desires to come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So the first requirement of a disciple would be to deny yourself. I must decrease. Take up your cross and follow him. That's what Matthew and Mark said. Luke says something different. He says, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Dying to self is gain. Decreasing is gain as Jesus increases. Once again, who is our example? Jesus Christ. Look at his relationship with the Father. Look at what he said about his relationship with the Father. I've only come to do the Father's will. I've only come to do the will of him who sent me. The works I do, even the words I speak, are coming from the Father. That's our example. Paul says this, he, Jesus, was rich. Yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might know the riches of God. Praise God. The cross of Jesus Christ stands as the greatest example of selflessness in the history of man. Greatest example of selflessness in the history of mankind is the cross of Jesus Christ. As we become less visible, as we deny ourselves, as we decrease, Jesus increases. He becomes greater. He becomes more visible in our lives. And then all of a sudden, it's his interest. It's his kingdom. It's his glory. It's his power. And it's his will that become my priority. Because I've stepped back and allow him full access to my entire life. I've given him credit for every single thing that happens. I can take no credit. I allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life. I say, yes, Lord. And that's what I do. We want to see him exalted. Jesus himself was talking about the cross. But listen to this when he said, even though the Son of Man must be lifted up. I want to see Jesus lifted up. Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.